Today on The Nose, well, first of all, we're in our New Haven studios. Second of all, you know, last night I was watching the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and there's kind of a beautiful thing that happens at the end, this kind of fireworks for this dead character. And I was thinking about how sad it would have been if James Gunn had been absolutely permanently fired from that particular franchise. But a lot of that kind of thing is really happening. Gunn managed to get out of the doghouse. A lot of other things are being canceled. People are being fired. We're going to talk a little bit about that cancel culture. We've also been watching a series called The Boys. It's streaming on Amazon Prime. It's about what if superheroes were corporate jerks and maybe even a worse word than that. Live from New Haven, from our beautiful studios in Gateway Community College, it's time to do the nose. Uh, and uh, let me tell you who's here in the Gateway Community College beautiful studios. Uh, Lucy Gelman, editor of the arts paper and host of WNHH Radio's Kitchen Sink. Mercy Quay, founder and principal consultant for the Narrative Project and a columnist for Hearst Connecticut Media Group. Uh, Brian Slattery is the arts editor for the New Haven Independent uh, and a producer at WNHH Radio. So a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about a series on Amazon Prime called The Boys. Uh, it is a comic book series made uh, and a superhero series made by an auteur who hates superheroes and thinks they're really stupid and that they've made us stupider. Um, and so if, you're, if you have superhero fatigue, it's difficult to know how you will react to this series because it might, in fact, reflect some of your own thinking and feeling, or it could be just one more superhero series that you're already tired of. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to talk about cancel culture. Uh, we're also going to talk about the 25 most important characters of the last 25 years in culture. Um, so let's start with this cancel culture idea. Let me uh, give you some uh, sort of – I'm going to sort of paint the landscape out for you a little bit anyway. There's a movie called The Hunt uh, that involves people hunting people. It seems to involve – um, liberal elites hunting so-called deplorables. Uh, it had in, in it Hillary Swank uh, and Betty Gilpin, who's currently one of the big stars of GLOW. Uh, and uh, it is apparently not going to be shown. Universal has shelved it, put it on a shelf because there was an awful lot of pushback. Most of the pushback was coming from Donald Trump and people who like Donald Trump, uh, although it's not clear exactly what the politics of the movie might be. Uh, we'll talk about that. There's a movie called Adam. Uh, it involves somebody, as I understand it, a uh, pretending to be a trans person, although not really being a trans person. Uh, Sarah Silverman has said that she was fired from a new movie uh, because of a 2007 blackface sketch she had done on her um, Comedy Central program at that time. Uh, and, and on and on. Well, we might as well add uh, Melville Dewey, who's not really like a big player in modern uh, popular culture, but he's the inventor of the Dewey Decibel System. Or maybe he claimed credit for inventing the Dewey Decibel System from a bunch of uh, black and Jewish and female people that he was oppressing in other ways, too, because that's apparently what he did. Anyway, his name is being stripped off certain things. I don't know if that really fits, like, with cancel culture, canceling Melville Dewey, but maybe it does. So, I mean, there's a thing, Mercy, that's happening here, right? There's a thing that's happening, and, and I guess part of the thing is that what used to be protest, or protest used to happen when something came out, and people would 
hear about it or actually see it and decided they didn't like it and then they protested. But now they just sort of try to make it, they sort of try to smother it in its crib now. Right. It's, it, it turns out that what we're seeing now is sort of preemptive protests. Like you said, they're trying to disappear it before it ever hits the, the light of day. And I think, I mean, liberals being called um, uh, snowflakes, right? is something that I always want to push back on. We're not snowflakes. In fact, it's not a safe place that we want. We want a space to be able to correct these problematic ideas. So something that I find really interesting in something like The Hunt, which to me is just a, a 2019 update of The Purge, with the roles flipped, because if you remember the purge, it was right your sort of uh, Republican wealthy elitists hunting off po- uh, poor or you know low income people of color. Um, but now what's going on is you know if we don't want to see it, if we think that we're going to be opposed to it when it comes out, it doesn't matter what we actually know about it. We're just going to kill it before it hits the light of day, and I think that's problematic. Mm. Brian, yeah, I mean, I I would. I'm one of those people who's definitely agreeing with that. The, the <laughs> that's a, that's All right. A, you seem to interpose a certain amount of Homeric detachment. I know. Oh. I know. The, the, in the, on the wine dark sea, I am. I am against it. So the no, but I yes, I I think that you know that this in the current political climate, there's really it, it's hard to be a creator in it because it moves so fast and it takes longer than culture is changing to make a cultural product <laughs> like mm-hmm. an idea that made that maybe made sense a year ago when you first started this project suddenly is like not a very good idea now that you've finished the project right. although i have to think and the hunt the on storyboards was probably going to be a problem no yeah what. yeah yeah but it's you know the these things these things are are moving so quickly that it's kind of hard to keep up with it and um i think that i would rather have more things to argue about than mm fewer things that were somehow kind of like canceling out before they ever arrive. Like, you know, there's a part of me that really does think that the market works <laughs> as a mechanism for deciding what cultural products are good and which ones aren't. And if you don't get to see those products, you don't get to decide. And I would much rather be in the position of being able to see them and deciding. Lucy? I'm, I'm, I'm sort of not, I'm not asking leading questions so far. I just want to, I'm just saying your names. Yeah, I, I think we're largely going to be in agreement with each other here. The way I think about cancel culture, which I am in favor of canceling, if that makes sense, is um, I, I would really like the world to operate, and we're not under a political administration, I think, that operates like this, but I would really like the world to operate a lot more like good reporters tackle stories. And what that means is I would like to see a lot more in the pop culture mainstream and like and in articles coming out because this is I I think the idea of uh, something being canceled that trickles down to even the way we're seeing some of our media writing stories in a much more careful way and I think there's a fine line between political correctness Mm -hmm. which is very very important um, and saying well this might offend someone so I'm not going to do it I think do do it. Make sure it's in your wheelhouse, right? Like make sure that you've done your homework, but then put your work out there. And if people don't like it, they can protest it once it's out there. I think to your point about political correctness, it feels as though even the culture around that really has turned into let's not say this just for the sake of not saying. I think that's absolutely Mm -hmm. true. And it it makes me crazy. I mean, sometimes with and and I think New Haven in some ways can personify cancel culture if Mm -hmm. if we want to go there. 
In I have been in discussions in New Haven that have been so frustrating because they haven't moved past the point of, oh, that person doesn't support Planned Parenthood. She must be a terrible person. Or, oh, that person thinks this show is okay. Um, what a toxic white liberal. And okay, you can throw that term around. Um, but I want to talk about why, like why she supports the show or why someone isn't interested in something and really get to the root of it and have a messy just I'm so um, I'm so hungry for messy discussions and I get excited when I get to have them and I don't feel like cancel culture invites that at all I I feel like it's the opposite but do we by we I guess I mean well-intentioned white liberals bear some of the blame for this i mean like we yes, set up we set up course. a whole bunch of things so that like yes. let's say that you know <laughs> instead of aquafina in the farewell it's taylor swift or something and then we're, we're going to go nuts you of know of course we do and so so we kind of got this ball rolling down the hill and now it's starting to crush things yeah and i think that while i think white white liberals and i don't know if i can speak on this a little bit but i'm going to if white liberals i'm, no, sorry, please to, do. I'm sorry to include you with white liberals <laughs> You should cancel me just for doing that. Canceled. <laughs> Walking out now. <laughs> no, right. I think so what I'm craving, Lucy, I think, you know, while I can rest a lot of the blame on, you know, at the feet of white liberals, what I'm craving is a lot more social responsibility from everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's have these messy discussions and let's, you know, move head f- like dive head. F- oh, what's the how do you say this phrase? Dive head first into the the sordid conversations that yeah. would otherwise be deemed politically incorrect sure. and come out on the other end with social responsibility. Yeah. If we don't know why we can't talk about it or why it's being canceled, then you're not really doing anything to pr- uh, improve the society around you. I, mean, I think I think that conversation involves making a lot of mistakes and right. taking a lot of risks. Yes. And if you can't, especially for, you know, art stuff if you can't take risks like where are we mm-hmm. like are we just going to end up with like the adult version of hello kitty for everything well, oh, that, no. that, that yeah. was one of the things that sarah silverman said so absolutely su- supposedly yeah. she didn't get this role we don't even know exactly what it was they had cast her then they canceled her they cast somebody else because of in 2007 a blackface sketch that she was doing to try as usual in a very transgressive way to make some kind of point about racism but um uh, she said they replaced me with somebody who was really just wonderful, but who doesn't typically or who has never stuck their neck out. And what what you're saying is you want people to stick their necks out. I, I want everyone to stick their necks out. <laughs> I mean, I think even as creatives and as intellectuals, we know that if you're creating work inside of safe space, you're not actually creating anything that's groundbreaking. Right. And I think can safe spaces cancel are cancel the term safe space. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm good with that. This and you know New what Haven. else? I'm good with this is New Haven. You can't do stuff like that. You know I, what else? I'm I know good with someone's canceling? gonna cancel. Cancel me once I leave this. <laughs> individuals. I'm happy you led me there. I'm happy to cancel individuals who prove to be problematic on a, uh, I was going to say rhythm, but on a, have a, pa- pra- a pattern of problem. I'm going to stop talking now. Have a po- problem <laughs> of problematic comments or actions, whether that is on Twitter or in person or in their work. I think it is absolutely okay to cancel those individuals. Well, yeah. yeah should we, uh, do you want, no, go ahead and say something. Well, well, I was just going to say, I, th- I think within this, there is a need, maybe because things feel so tumultuous right now, a lot of people gravitate toward the need for resolution and for reconciliation. And as a person, I get that because resolution feels really good, especially in the moment. Um, but it's it's sort of like paying your taxes is also a form of self-care, even though it doesn't feel as good as a bubble bath with Epsom salt or, or something like that. Um 
it's it is okay to walk away from a a TV show or a movie or even a conversation about one of those things thinking I'm really fired up and I don't know if I've gotten to the place I want to go um, or or to go protest a form of pop culture. I am all for that. As a culture reporter, it makes me really excited when someone's angry about a project that's either a grassroots project by you know a New Haven artist or uh, a project that's happening on a national scale and has millions of dollars behind it. I, first of all, I wanted to. Uh, somebody should invoke the slattery rule. The slattery rule, as I understand it, <laughs> I knew that it, was going to come up yeah, today. I've forgotten that, all about that. Yeah, yeah, is that the contribution that the artist in question is making uh, is then is placed on one side of the scale, and then the magnitude of the offense is uh, uh, placed on the other tray on the scale. And what do you name it? The slattometer. I don't know. I, I don't know. Ooh. I don't think we ever went there. <laughs> but I think an, another part of this is I, I think we have to trust people. For, I'll give you an example, all right, that indicts me. So I, I really like and have watched three or four times and will probably watch again one or more times before I die the original Red Dawn that has like Patrick Swayze uh, in it. You know, this is the one where the Russians invade America uh, and, and it has a really good cast. John Milius, though. John, and John Milius, who's, a, who's a right-wing yes. jerk, uh, yes. made this. And it's all about we better have access to our guns. We need lots of guns because what if the Russians show up and Harry Dean Stanton's there like imprisoned in a drive-in movie going, avenge me. And like I really enjoy the Wolverines. I, I really Now, I understand that this movie is basically a screed on behalf of a whole bunch of stuff that run very much against my own principles. But I'm also capable of enjoying this really stupid movie and then going on to live my life. I mean, I... I, See, I, I feel that way about Conan the Barbarian, another that. John Milius product. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can't just be John Milius, but I, I you know, I, I think we can we can listen to Wagner operas, and we can. There's all kinds of things that we can do and uh, separate things, and and for some reason or other, at this moment, we don't believe that anymore. Yeah, I, I guess a piece of me also feels as though there needs to be a threshold that's crossed, right? Yes. So, um, Kevin Hart, without you know a proper apology for his comments uh, um, that were very anti-gay that were made in 2007 I believe right without a proper apology and some actions taken on that without a true sort of resolution to that I feel pretty gross entertaining any of his content and actually I did cancel him for quite a bit I don't know that he's been um, picked up by another network in my brain yet because mm. everywhere else he's canceled <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that you have networks in your brain though I like the fact that she's, you're sort of multi-platform that's how you have to compartmentalize. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I well, we, we need to move on a little, pretty quickly here. But, I mean, to, to my way of thinking, like, The Hunt sounds like a really terrible movie. It really sounds like it's, like, a, but I would like to know exactly how terrible yeah. it is. Yeah, I mean, that's a great, like, I wouldn't go see it, but I, I, I'm not sorry it was made. <laughs> right. Or I, I might go see it just to find out how terrible it is. But so. also, yeah, like, yeah. let it come out and be a massive failure at the box office. Right. Absolutely. And right. people and get really riled up about it. Yeah. I think the is it'll be a massive success at the box office. Uh, well, there you go. She's uh, she's making a face. The people in the well, I mean, the it also f- it also feels to me like what happened um, at Berkeley when Milo finishes last name for me. Pronounce oh, it. Indianapolis. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I invited to that. campuses. Wow. And, nice and, work. And <laughs> I appreciate that <laughs> assist. Um, invited to campuses and the students protest um, out of pocket and 
and then it strikes this conversation about whether you want to hear these ideas so that you can protest them and expose them for how problematic and stupid they actually are or do you want to cancel them before they reach the light of day and for me sometimes sometimes there are things that you can cancel out of pocket I don't think that um, a piece of cinematic you know fiction is is in that category mm. you didn't actually have to look all the way over to Brooklyn for that Milo Yiannopoulos has been on this show oh right all right I forget <laughs> For that reason, though, like, oh, okay, like, I didn't really know anything about him except, like, articles that I had read about him about how horrible he was. So I would, I thought, well, I, I, I'd like to talk to him then. Weren't you, you know? accused of canceling him? Well, we were all, yes, because it was taking us a long time to get the show on the air. It was a pre-tape. And, <laughs> and we were, yeah, we, we were in Newsweek because we'd canceled, we'd canceled Milo. We, oh we really hadn't. All right, we should probably do a little uh, quick shift here unless anybody else has uh, some uh, profession that they would like to make. Or have we covered this? Okay, we're good. So, I, but it's sort of weird. We're all, we're all opposed to cancel culture, although I feel like we have participated in a lot of the thinking that led up to it. But I guess that's oh, absolutely. Yeah. R. Kelly's canceled. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's easy. <laughs> We've already been that's over a, R. Kelly. That's yeah. an easy one. We've done R. Kelly. <laughs> all right. So another thing that we looked at this week was a list. It's sort of the doldrums of August, and so people start putting out lists and stuff because, like, what else can you do, really? And there are a lot of these lists out right now. But I thought this was kind of an interesting one. It was the 25 most important characters of the past 25 years. And these characters, as you will see, can come from anywhere. Uh, I, I will just quickly read them. Uh, I, well, I'll go from the top down. Number one was Carmela Soprano, Donald Trump from The Apprentice, Pikachu from the Pokemon uh, franchise, Jay-Z, a character created by Jay-Z, I guess, uh, Hermione Granger from uh, the Harry Potter, Jar Jar Binks from Star Wars, Miles Morales from uh, the uh, current version, the ultimate comics version of Spider-Man and also into the Spider-Verse, Sarah Palin as incarnated on Saturday Night Live by Tina Fey, Willow Rosenberg from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Hannah Horvath, the protagonist of Girls, Edward Cullen from the Twilight Saga, Olivia Pope from Scandal, Sadness from the movie Inside Out, Kumar Patel from the Harold and Kumar movies, Tracy Flick from Election, Omar Little from The Wire, Bridget Jones, obviously from Bridget Jones Diaries, um, Angel Dumat Schunard from Rent, The Rock from WWE, Thomas Jefferson from Hamilton, Sarah Koenig from Serial, Milkshake Duck from Milkshake Duck. It was a tweet. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mindy from The Mindy Project, uh, The Babadook from The Babadook, and Thomas Cromwell from Wolf Hall. So, uh, so Lucy, do you want to applaud one of those, deplore one of those? No. I, as I was reading it, it's interesting because as I was reading it, one thing I thought about was the fact that Girls was not canceled. It was allowed to reach its end in a very messy way. And a lot of people called for it to be canceled, actually. And I so enjoyed talking garbage about that show with other people. So that is an example of something that was allowed to go on and uh, and that a lot of people really hated but um <laughs> as I as I was reading the list I actually thought it was funny because we uh, growing up I was part of a household that was sort of a PBS only household so I had a really comprehensive understanding of like Nova and Ken Burns and no popular culture knowledge probably no. until I got to like late high school or college and then people were like who are you what planet <laughs> yeah. did you come totally. from KGB but, agent yeah. Totally, yeah. yeah. Um, but but your knowledge of Pole Dark and Brideshead Revisited did not. I d- well, I did love. I loved Hermione. I loved her. I I think a, a lot of young women and probably many young men too uh, loved Hermione. But um, but yeah, reading it certainly some people stood out to me. And I think 
Um, when I was in like high school and early college, Rent was having this revival and became very beloved again. Now, I think people have rightly pointed out a lot of that. A lot of people have tried to cancel Rent. We'll just say that. Not um, gonna happen. <laughs> no, well, so, I don't, I don't so even know about Angel, this. Why are people? Why do people try to cancel Rent? Um, so Jonathan Larson, the writer of Rent, hmm. was uh, my understanding is he was a straight white guy who actually a lot of people believe he died of complications from HIV and AIDS, and that's not the case. A lot of people believe that his his characters are very stereotypical. Um, I mean, I like I still fall hard for the show. I saw it, I think, two or three years ago when it came through New Haven on tour for the 20th anniversary. Um, it's also playing at the Schubert in November. Just OK, that. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people lost their minds when Angel came on stage to come mm-hmm. back to the list. Um, so there there were certain characters on the list where I thought, oh, yeah, you know, they they are iconic. I think some characters on the list. I, I was talking to my partner about this last night and he said, you've never seen The Sopranos. Like, who are you? And and so I don't know if maybe I'm the best uh, barometer for this, but. <laughs> I yeah I think there were some hits and some misses on there. Well, I think part of the the, the list and Brian had made this point too is nobody's seen everything on this list. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's I true. mean, no way. It's a great I mean, it's a great example of how fragmented popular culture has gotten. That that's kind of like everybody's seen a little bit of it, <laughs> and we are. I feel like we're all kind of in our own little cults, you know. Sometimes, you know, where there's maybe like a hundred thousand people see this and fifty thousand people see that, but like you don't get like the like two hundred million people watch this one thing <laughs> you know which, right which used to happen you know that, that when there that, were three channels yeah yeah i mean that sort of thing used to happen and like that's that's all you know a figment of the past it's like cold war <laughs> well for example i would make the argument i have made the argument to people that it's very very difficult to understand american culture american politics american public life if you haven't seen the two godfather movies like if like we just had a fredo yeah. controversy this week yeah you know i mean those are those are you know when my son gets older i'm going to just make him watch those i think point. this explains so much about why i have no idea what's going on in politics right now because i haven't seen I either haven't seen the, god, the godfather is a real yeah. tutorial those two movies are something i mean First of all, there's just so many tropes that are Im- embedded in yes. our conversation these days that yes. come from there. Uh, and just, I mean, I, I, it would be a longer conversation to talk about whether the movie tells an accurate and compelling story uh, about the group that it purports to do that with. But I just think, you know, there's just a way in which that movie is now priced into our language and oh, totally. our imagery mm-hmm. and stuff like that, too. Totally. So, but do we I, need to cancel the current civics Curriculum <laughs> and add yeah, the just watch the Godfather. I, I would just show the watch. Godfather yes. to any civics class. Absolutely. So would I. Yeah. So would I. Yeah, it's um, great. I do have a couple honorable mentions <laughs> yeah, that I, I think yeah, need I to want, be added. I want to yes. hear what the, I want to hear what those are. Uh, yeah. Deplorable Frog. I don't think that was added, and I think we should add Deplorable Frog because throughout. Do you know, you guys know Deplorable Frog? I didn't know Milkshake Duck, so there's a possibility that I won't. Okay, know so Deplorable Frog, Frog it, it was another tweet, and yeah. it was completely co-opted by, um, you know, the self-proclaimed deplorables on Twitter. Oh, you mean Pepe the Frog. Pepe the Frog. Pepe the Frog. Pepe the Frog, There was another frog out in culture, and you guys thought I was talking about a different frog. Well, like, <laughs> we're just making frog. sure we're talking about the so same yeah, frog. There could be a lot of frogs. So Pepe the Frog, deplorable, the right. deplorable Frog. Um, I would also add Annabelle. Um, from oh, that's interesting. The yeah. Conjuring. Yeah, 
Okay, so no? this is where I'm drawing a blank, right? Really? Wow. Okay. Well, I like I haven't seen those movies, but I know who that is, and that's that's an argument that the char- the character has jumped frog like out of its actual movie or whatever its container was into the conversation, the public conversation. So. Absolutely, yeah. So I mean, if there is any sort of um, supernatural character that breaks the fourth wall Annabelle is supposed to be that character mm. yeah so mm. I think that that one proliferated pretty much every See, that's single- interesting because I get I was thinking about like contemporary things that I would put on that list and like for me the one is Darius from Atlanta Darius a, from Atlanta. Who has like that guy seems to know everything. Like, yeah, you know, like you know, like Darius Florida is man. gonna Darius is gonna save us. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like, we all got a lot of problems, but Darius knows the solution. We <laughs> we already had this conversation in the other room. I, I mean, I think one of the, it sort of depends on what the parameters for the list is. I think Darius is an extension of an archetype that goes back yes. maybe to Mercutio, mm-hmm. but certainly the person who's kind of in an altered state who sees reality differently, who's mm. in touch uh, with the fairies or in touch with an altered alternative universe who brings a different kind of wis- wisdom often a kind of comic addled wisdom to things you know and it's Zonker Harris from Doonesbury and yeah. it's it's Jim Ignatowski on Taxi and I'm dating myself right now but um, the nuance is that the folks around him seldom believe him or take him at face value no yeah. I think I think that this is an important spice in an ensemble you know mm. that you need this particular voice in, in, oh absolutely there, you know? absolutely um, and, and Darius clearly is is to the ensemble on Atlanta he's essential you know even though he's saying a lot of weird stuff that doesn't really course doesn't map well onto what everybody else is doing and thinking that's what that character always does oh right? ab- yeah absolutely um, and just to just to name a couple that were just already on the list and um, co-sign those, Willow Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. I was totally um, on Rosenbuehl. Team Willow. Yeah, yeah. Team Willow. I, <laughs> this is, once again, from Buffy from the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire yes. Slayer. Um, huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. Have seen this, the series maybe three times, revisited every few years. And I think... I I'm, feel that series is holding up quite nicely. It does. It ages right. really well. Yeah. I mean, mm, if you re- watch it again with the, you know, uh, yeah, racial not, lens... It not becomes, everything holds up. Exactly. But... but you know, all things considered, you're like, hey, this is uh still stands, still stands, <laughs> yes. yeah, for sure. Um, happy yes. Olivia Pope made the list. Yes. Mm-hmm. If it if it wasn't Olivia Pope, I was going to say Annalise Keating should have made the list, but I, I I would definitely choose Olivia Pope over Annalise Keating. All right, so we're gonna have to pause here. I, I was very happy to see Carmela Soprano on the at the top of the list. It wasn't where I thought the list was going because you read it uh, in slate uh, on in reverse order. But there is a, w- a wonderful moment in The Sopranos where Carmela is she has decided she's going to leave Tony and. Or she thinks she might, and she goes to see this psychiatrist who I remember as a kind of older Jewish man. And at a certain point, he says, well, you have to leave right. When he understands what's being talked about, he says, well, you have to leave right now. And you can't take anything with you because it's all blood money. It's all contaminated. It's all, you know, um, it's all gained from the suffering and dying and pain of other people. See, and, and Carmela gets this look on her face like, you have got to be kidding me. I'm not doing that. Um, and it's just, it's such a wonderful moment about sort of, you know, when you know how badly you've sold out. Um, all right. So we have to take a break with this great panel. We'll be back. Thank you. 
All right, we're back. We're back with the news. We're in New Haven with Lucy Gelman, editor of the Arts Paper and host of WNHH Radio's Kitchen Sink, uh, Mercy Quay, founder and principal consultant for the Narrative Project, and a columnist, as am I, for the Hearst Connecticut Media Group. Uh, remember, if my column offends you, it means Mercy probably wrote it. You should get in touch with her. Um, <laughs> and Brian Slattery is, I see this because you got complaints about one of my columns. Yeah, uh, he wrote something and my email was flooded. My inbox was flooded. How dare you? <laughs> That's great. Colin couldn't have Did possibly you impersonate him? Yes. Um, <laughs> Brian Slattery is our editor for the New Haven Independent and a producer at WNHH Radio. So we kind of, I don't know if we ever publicly did this, but we kind of uh, here at the news had decided we were kind of going to be off comic book movies for a while. But there are going to be exceptions. I mean, Into the Spider-Verse is such an amazingly visionary take on comic books that we would have done superheroes, you know, that we would have done that superhero story no matter what. So what about a superhero series about superheroes who are really, really terrible people, just the worst people imaginable. Uh, and, and what if it's auteur was a person, a creator, who really hates superheroes, thinks they're stupid, moronic, these are his words, uh, and basically bad for us. That is pretty much the premise, at least the initial premise, of The Boys, uh, the story of a corporatized uh, superhero world. Uh, and we'll hear a little bit, it's on Amazon right now, uh, we'll hear a, a little clip from it before we get going. Uh, you're going to hear uh, one of the very, very few sympathetic characters uh, in this series, uh, Annie January, otherwise known as Starlight, uh, and she's being uh, briefed by some of her handlers from this thing called the Vought Corporation, which seems to own all the superheroes. This is Trevor from Crime Analytics. So, we have exciting news for you. We are sending you on your first patrol <gasps> to team up tomorrow night. Oh, that's great. That's great news. Thank you. Hi. Big fan. There you go. A crime itinerary? Yep. Where and when to find the bad guys. That's what my department does. We vet leads, crunch satellite data, comp stat, better intel than the police. Mm. You know, thanks, but I'm good. I, I like to do my own investigating. And that is why we love you. But it's not coming from us. It's corporate. To protect you. What if you nab the wrong person? There's liability to consider. The, the deep is... Coming? Yeah, it's a water-adjacent crime. Then he should do it himself. He doesn't need me. It was going to be deep and translucent, but everyone on 82 is so excited to get you out there. Yeah, it's just, you know, back in Des Moines, I always patrolled alone. And that is why we love you. But we see at least a 23% uptick in social media mentions and hero hashtags when there's a team-up. People love a team-up. Love a team-up. Mm. Mm. So uh, we should say the 82 is the 82nd floor where the really horrible and powerful suits are who really run this stuff. Uh, the Deep is sort of a, uh, a fusion of Aquaman and Harvey Weinstein. He's this, this uh, sexual predator uh, Aquaman kind of guy being paired up with Starlight, whom he has already harassed and more than harassed, actually, uh, on her first day at work. So, uh, Brian, you're going to be the Virgil who leads us through the oh my uh, God. underworld of the boys because you understand everything about where it came from. But, I don't know, get us started in you any know, way you want. I never thought that all my comic book reading would come in handy the way that it has. <laughs> so, the boys is a product of this guy named Garth Ennis, who, uh, for a, a few decades now, has made a career on this kind of interesting combination of uh, storylines that are hyper-violence, um, also sort of shot through with this real sort of absurdist, you know, sharp absurdist humor 
and this kind of uh, oddly centered moral compass, <laughs> considering how how dark things get. Like there's, it's not nihilistic. You know, there's there's sort of a there there. There's a sense of there's a sense of right and wrong going on. Usually not really coming from any of the characters, <laughs> but coming from somewhere. And so the the boys fits pretty neatly into what Garth Ennis does really well, um, which is that combination of things. Uh, he takes aim as he has for quite a while at sort of like any kind of like power structure. You know, the corporate world is the corporate world is. I'm struggling not to swear. This is really hard. The corporate <laughs> world is nonsense. Uh, the church is nonsense. God is nonsense. Religion is nonsense. Um, all of those things. Um, he's he's a, he's an avowed atheist who you know takes his shot at these things. So I feel like the the show is often at its best when it's in that mode. Um, the the place where it, it starts to come up, the place where Garth Ennis comes up a little short for me is that uh, you know, I'm I'm actually kind of fine with the whole let's burn everything down thing, and yeah, but I'm not. I kind of want the, and then we will build what? <laughs> and mm-hmm. I sort of like wait for that thing to come along. And it never quite does. But sort of like page for page and now scene for scene, there's this sort of, um, uh, you know, the, the, the writing is often sharp enough to carry you from page to page. Um, so that's, that's the boys. When he takes aim at superheroes, it's particularly interesting because we live in this moment where superheroes have sucked a lot of the air out of popular culture. Um, so there's, it's fun to see a show sort of skewering all of that, and it's fun to watch the show. For me, it was fun to watch the show as a metaphor for sort of the like the hegemony that Marvel has <laughs> over the popular imagination and how healthy that all is. Really, you know, what are we what are we giving up when we're just watching superhero movie after superhero movie? And when that speaking of like things that everybody really does seem to watch, <laughs> it's the Marvel movies. And it it is kind of weird to think that we've all sort of uh, come along on this ride with a couple of very high-powered Marvel and now Disney executives telling us, you know, what we should be thinking and feeling all the time. Yeah, I mean, one thing that was suggested, uh, Lucy, in uh, another podcast I was listening to was that, so Garth Ennis had actually launched these things as comic books uh, back in like 2006 or something like that, and maybe even a kind of a critique of the Bush administration at that time. Um, but there's a way in which their vision, as heavy-handed as it might have even seemed in 2006, is a little bit come of age. I mean, there's yeah. a way in which the incredible cynicism uh, and and almost sort of chaotic disregard for basic decency yeah. <laughs> that characterizes this world seems oddly familiar. It's refreshing in a way. To yeah. see. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's so re- yeah. I so going into this, I did not think I would like it. Um, be, just because of the warning at the beginning, which is like. Uh, viewers may see and then it's like it's, it's, it's all the big ones like <laughs> like nudity sexual violence uh, like physical violence it, like ev- everything and I thought uh oh I'm not gonna like this I don't like blood I don't like gore um, I don't like sexual violence um, and and I actually liked it a great deal more than I thought I I would partly because it's so funny I mean it's darkly funny Um but like just the send ups of characters that we know so well because we've become so fluent in this language of comics um, and, and sort of like comic book movies and, and uh, comic heroes like the uh, there's a, a pitch to the mayor of Baltimore 
for a character named Nubian Prince. <laughs> and it's so funny. I mean, it's it's really, really a, a very funny We should say well, part of the premise here is that this corporation, which controls all these right. uh, these heroes, will actually lease them for huge amounts of money yeah. to cities that have crime problems. Anyway. Right, which is something like $300 million, yeah. right? Or, or yeah, so, so something just really ridiculous and exorbitant. Um, and it's really funny. In, a, in another scene, we see that uh, one of the, the seven, uh, so the seven iconic comic, uh, like comic book character, super, super heroes. superheroes. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mercy. <laughs> um, are, um, is, is named Black Noir, which is, is just black, black. Yeah. And and so it's like this is is funny. It was a little too gritty for me at times. I actually um there's a scene where someone's head explodes and brains go everywhere and I got a little sick to my stomach, but um I actually found this very funny and ridiculous yeah. and delightful. Mercy? <laughs> No lead-in, just... Well, well I, no, I can do a lead-in, which is my sense just Please watching respond. the emails come through was that maybe you were the... I, I, let, let me even say even more of a lead-in, which is when I when we first started thinking about doing this show, I had watched about four and a half episodes, and I decided to stop. That I, I thought that I, I kind of got it, um, and I didn't really need to keep going, uh, and I didn't like anybody on the series enough to really sort of decide that I wanted to stay there and root for them, which may get back to Brian's point about what you're trying to build. I, I've kind of revised my thinking since then, but I was sensing that you had hit a similar kind of wall. So. Yeah, I think that's 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 real. Um, I think that. I like this show, and I have since Tuesday, which is when I think we kind of decided that we were going to talk about it. I've also recommended it to people, mm-hmm. although I will say that I think we were talking earlier about social responsibility. I think this is this this is absent that altogether, and because of that, I can't trust how people re- will receive it, and that makes me uncomfortable with it. Right? I mean, if we have been coming out of, if we're fresh off, we're currently still in a culture of uh, political correctness where people avoid things for the sake of avoiding them. And we haven't talked about, um, you know, uh, violent or problematic black tropes. It seems really irresponsible to me to put them in satirically and expect everyone to get it. Right. And I think that we consider we consider on the table and find the jokes in it. And I think a group just like this will find it really funny. But I don't think that it'll be received that way by loads of people. And that makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I guess I, I, uh, okay, you're saying something a little bit different than that. Well, one of the things that I struggled with here a little bit is that so this the, the part of the plot is that there's kind of an insurgent group that has rejected, has seen through the facade, the veneer of these wonderful superheroes, seen them for the coarse and callous and destructive and sometimes uh, even life-taking villains that they really kind of are uh, and wants to do something about it. Um, one of the difficulties with that group is that most of its members are unappealing <laughs> and most of their methods uh, are questionable and that's like Lucy that's one of the things I was sort of struggling with is like how I mean there's a young man named Huey who Huey's the, probably the most right, likable character right. and in the first pretty much the, this won't be a spoiler but pretty much the first scene of the movie well something really horrible happens to Huey I won't I won't spoil it but something horrible happens to him and he's sort of trying to figure out what to do how to get justice out of that but very quickly it fe- I feel like he's being corrupted too uh, as he searches for justice 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've got these archetypes, and I think that for me, I found comedy in it because I, I thought it was just so clearly playing off this whole narrative structure that, like, we've gotten to a point where uh, superhero movies are very much plug and play, and yep. and people like that. People like that a great deal, as we've learned from box office returns. But um, but but because of that, you know, like your bad characters are even in the fight that even in the fight for justice that they're seeing like they're kind of slimy and yucky and and we don't really like them a lot um so so yeah I mean it it was something that I also fully expect like going into it I was not surprised by the show um but uh yeah I mean I I think it just reflects this this comic book or superhero narrative and kind of turns it a little bit on its head and it's very cynical you know now that I'm Hear that and hear everything that's been said here, uh, Brian. I don't. Know, I can't remember whether you said this at the beginning. So Garth Ennis, the guy who created all this stuff, grew up in Northern Ireland, Ireland, where in fact both sides were, generally speaking, pretty compromised. Yes. Uh, where right. you could you could pick a favorite, but you couldn't pick a favorite that had completely clean hands ever. You know, and and right. I, I as I. L- Think about my own reaction, particularly to this insurgent group that seems to be doing the work of justice, but in a way that I find distasteful at times. Maybe he is informed yeah. by that. Hello, Sinn Féin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, totally. It's. I mean, the, the thing for me is that, again, as a, as a super comic book nerd, I always think about how the graphic novel Watchmen is still a couple of steps ahead of us. Yep. This thing yep. written in 1986 uh, into 1987 um, that... I, I feel like even these very like self-conscious superhero things that we're seeing now are still playing in a small corner of the worlds that the two creators of that, um, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, made. Like the the boys is basically like two of the subplots of Watchmen, <laughs> and then there's like six <laughs> in that book. Uh, so it's I'm still kind of waiting. I mean, as, as long as we're obsessed with, as long as comic books have become mainstream, I'm kind of waiting for the stuff I really like about comic books to become mainstream which is <laughs> that'll be fun um there's a way the comic books go off the rails uh a lot that other media are not good at yet and um i think in those moments are the are the times when comic books can be the most revelatory you know there's this point where the plot just like it's it's very hard to describe because it really kind of works in comic books <laughs> and it's hard to describe in words but it's uh they're, they can be revelatory in ways that that so far seem unique to the to the medium, and it'd be really cool to see someone try to do it. Uh, Sorry to bother you. Gets really close. The movie that's that's last summer now. Mm-hmm. Um, a history of violence. That movie gets really close. Even like Pan's Labyrinth gets pretty close. These are all people who are of course like huge comic book fans. <laughs> but, all right, I'm getting uh, yeah. information in my headphones that we should probably break, so we'll have time to we'll have time to stretch out and luxuriously uh, endorse things. So uh, let's do that. The series is called The Boys. Did anybody else have anything else? Did you have a final point you wanted to make? I'm going to finish The Boys, and I sh- would actually recommend everyone <laughs> watch I, it. I am going <laughs> Not to Not canceling it. Yeah, one of the things we had uh, debated about maybe talking about is that we now live in a world where you can just kind of wander away from some series that you're watching because there's so many other things that you could watch a- anyway. Even if you're not mad at it, you could just get distracted, and 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 that had happened to me with the boys. But I, I'm with you, Mercy. I, I'm going to finish this thing now. All right, let's uh, take a break, and we'll be back.
All right, we are back. We're in the Gateway uh, Studios of WNPR down in New Haven. Uh, Jonathan McNichol is the uh, producer today. I don't know who else to thank. Gene, is Gene Amatruda? Somebody up there is making sure that this show actually gets on the air. Uh, at least I hope so. Um, so if you could hear this show, probably Gene Amatruda needs to be thanked. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with our <laughs> usual scramble. Uh, and so we're going to make some endorsements and make some recommendations now. Uh, Lucy, why don't you get us started? Yeah, I have two. Um, so one local local recommendation and and one uh, not local recommendation or endorsement. Um, so the the first is on Monday I was covering the show and there was an artist who performed <laughs> who's also a member of the band Fat Astronaut which is uh, based Oh, I like in, them. One of my yeah, favorite bands. They're they're really really wonderful. Um Shout actually, out to Chad Springer. Yes, if you're listening uh, on Friday they're playing at the State House in New Haven tonight, but that is not my endorsement. So her name is Roe Godwin and she has a relatively new EP called The Roe Godwin Experience. Uh, volume one and it's just three tracks and they are so beautiful um at least one of them but probably all three may make you cry um i there's one that i can't listen to without crying but they're really beautiful they're heartfelt she's a really smart lyricist and she's very talented um and i love her voice so i highly recommend that and then Colin, you've recommended this on your show before, but I just listened to the entire first and second season of In the Dark, and I highly, highly uh, recommend it. Madeline Barron is my hero. She's um, just an incredible um, journalist and does really, really good work. So I can't recommend that podcast, both seasons one and two, but season one is about a child abduction. So if you're a parent, probably don't listen. Also, season two, I think, is the more compelling of the two. They're They're both good. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Season two is amazing. All right. Uh, so, uh, Brian, why don't you go next? On um, the local music front, there's a. Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure I've done him before, but this guy named Chesky, um, yes. who is who has uh, spent the year now. He's going to come out with three albums this year. He has two of them out, and they're both great. And the third one is coming out whenever it comes out near the end of the year. Uh, that's C E S C H I, Chesky. And then the other ones. So, since so, I just, so like, how do you find his albums? Where, where uh, you, if you Google him, yeah. uh, the, there's a web. He obviously has a website. Uh, stuff on Bandcamp, iTunes, okay, et cetera, et cetera. Um, since I just talked about how revelatory comic books are, um, go read Watchmen if you haven't read it yet, or reread it. And then um, the other one that feels that way to me is this one called Black Hole by Charles Burns, which is one of my favorite books ever. So there we go. All right. So I, I, before we go to Mercy, I have to say that I, uh, because of sort of timing, I have a social engagement here in New Haven at 7. It doesn't really make sense to go back. So I have five hours to kill in New Haven. Uh, I might go get Watchmen at, you know, some independent <laughs> store and have that be one of the ways. That I also need a haircut, though, so there's a lot of ways I could go here. Mercy. Um, <laughs> you know, right. I, I have a list of um, space recommendations, as always, but I'm going to switch it up. Um, let me start with the Another Life, I think. So Another Life is a show that you can binge watch on Netflix today. It is about um, a manned mission to f- save the planet after a alien artifact is sent to Earth and no one can figure out what it's what's going on. F- turns out it's an antenna and they send humans to where the signal is coming from to figure out if these are friendly aliens or not. It is really what happens when seven strangers embark on a trip. <laughs> right? It's basically real world ro- road roost challenge in space. Um, so if you like those h- kinds of things, check it out. I think it's awful but it's also w- worth the watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, I like I like a little science. I like a little fiction in my science, not a little science in my fiction. That's mm-hmm. the only thing there. Um, there is a book called Scarcity that I just learned about um, based off of a recent episode of Hidden Brain. It is what happens when an economist and a psychologist team up to tell you what happens to your brain when you don't have enough of a particular thing, whether that's money, time, friends, what have you. Check it out. You can find it on Audible. All right. So uh, one book from this summer that I am going to recommend is The Lady in the Lake by Laura Lippmann. Uh, It is a uh, well, here's the sort of horribly unfair way of talking about it. Um, It's as if a woman made the wire. And the reason that's a horribly unfair way of talking about it is that Laura Lippmann is actually married to David Simon. And it's pretty clear what they talk about around the house. Uh, (laughs) They talk about urban (laughs) problems and crime and journalism and politics and how all of those things uh, intersect and feed off one another. But it's a very interesting style of narration. It's sort of a lot of different POVs, uh, including the protagonist and including the murdered person uh, and lots of other people as well. So you hear, it's all said also in 1966, I think she does a pretty good job of uh, nailing down that period. So again, it is called The Lady in the Lake. And then I had like this really kind of momentary, momentary positive affirmation of myself moment because I knew about a song that Mercy didn't know about. Um, <laughs> and, and it's the kind of song that Mercy would like and does like. And it's, it, it is a completely offensive song. I want to get that out right here. But we're also not canceling it. We're not canceling it. <laughs> Don't email me about how mu- how much your yeah, sensibilities. Too funny to and don't email me when you can't reach <laughs> Colin. Right. It's called Jesus is the One, parentheses. I Got Depression. It's by Zach Fox and Kenny Beats. Uh, it uh, pretty much manages. It, it's sort of like, you know, Matt Grenning used to be asked, uh, apropos of the Life is Hell uh, series, or Life in Hell series, who the two Zach and uh, Akbar, Jeff and Akbar, that's what their names were. And people would ask him, you know, are they Muslims? They wear fezes. Are they gay? Are they brothers? Are they siblings or whatever? And he used to say, whichever possibility offends you the most. Um, <laughs> and that that pretty much, I think, applies to uh, this song, uh, Jesus is the One. It's very sacrilegious and, and everything else. And then if you want to hear another thing that's kind of offensive and funny, all of my current hip-sounding uh, pretense is because Sam Hattleman, occasionally a guest on the news, has sent me, sent me a 66-song playlist. Oh. Um, so, like, I'm very, you know, I'm very... If you are not a recipient of one of Sam Hattleman's pay- playlists, right. I assure you, you are out of touch right. with society. So, I think Dove's in the Wind with SZA and Kendrick Lamar is also kind of funny, again, in that somewhat offensive way uh, that we like about this other song. So, so uh, that's all I have to say, except the thank you to these wonderful guests here. Lucy Gelman, uh, editor of the Arts Paper, host of WNHH Radio's Kitchen Sink, S-Y-N-C. Uh, Mercy Quay, founder and principal consultant for the Narrative Project, columnist for Hearst Connecticut Media Group, Brian Slattery, arts editor for the New Haven Independent, uh, a producer at WNHH Radio, a novelist uh, and other kinds of authors and musician and members of bands and things like that. So thanks to all of you for taking time out to listen to us Chatter away. Yeah, 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 yeah.